Week's Ulster Rugby Roundup. We're back on location at a much more chilly Kingspan Stadium, sporting the fetching hat I was bought for Christmas. I'm Gareth Hannah. With me, our rugby enthusiast Jonathan Bradley. Hi, how's it going? And giving me a funny look is Adam McAndrew. Hey, guys. On this week's episode, then, of course, we have the painful task of dissecting another dismal defeat. This one, the heavy loss to Leinster at the RDS. We'll also look ahead to the crunch clash with La Rochelle, and we'll hear from Les Kiss and Rory Best on the way. First. Where else can we start today? Stephen Donald, Jonathan, the scoop master, is he coming? <laughs> he is, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> you understand by the time everyone listens to this, they're going to know. Gonna know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, but, but anyway. Wait, yeah, because we've just broke it on yeah, the website just well, before uh, we started recording. So we'll act the like, now. We'll if act they don't, like they haven't been reading the website, which shocking, isn't good enough. Shocking stuff. But anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll act like this is brand new information by the time people <laughs> listen to it on Thursday. Yeah. Wednesday, uh, tomorrow, you know. Okay. Okay. You're on the ball. Yeah. I'm just. You, I feel like you're doubting my editing abilities. I just know you're a busy man. That's all there is yeah, to it. Nice. You know. Are you two enjoying getting sidetracked? We kind of have a <laughs> podcast to record here. Uh, yes. Stephen Donald, gentlemen, is he coming? Stephen Donald, he is coming. Um, obviously, everyone remembers him for being the man that won the World Cup off the back of a oh, fishing trip. Uh, Leo <laughs> Fano has two weeks left big hole to fill there in terms of the, num- the number 10 jersey for the rest of the season so Stephen Donald should be I believe anyway confirmed by Ulster Rugby in an official capacity sometime soon um, it'd be a square laugh if he's wrong wouldn't it <laughs> can you imagine if we just have to sack the podcast off because we spent the first 10 minutes talking about a story that turns out to be wrong be like oh, the BBC man. the BBC with their Ryan Kankowski should we say that? Should we bring that up? Maybe edit that out. It's <laughs> <laughs> being left in now. Anyway. <laughs> yes, so in terms of what's out there at the minute, if you're if you are set on signing somebody, then you get somebody with twenty two New Zealand caps and you don't get them if you don't know sort of what you're doing, do you? So if the idea was to uh to bring somebody in, which obviously it was, I think uh I think Bryn highlighted that to everyone at halftime on Saturday, so. He knows what he's doing, which is the main thing. Yeah. I mean, as Johnny said, you don't get 22 caps for the All Blacks if you don't know what you're doing. And in terms of getting someone in mid season, he's about as good as you could have hoped for. I know Matt Ghetto might be becoming available, but. Stephen Donald, he'll come in, he'll do a job for the rest of the season. He's experienced enough that he'll, he'll be able to continue on Lele Afanu's sort of mentoring to Johnny McPhillips and Pete Nelson. So he's a he's a good stopgap in terms of what we could have gotten. At 34 now, um, he's been playing in Japan for four or five years now. Is uh, it, Does he have what it takes him to pick up where, where Christian's going to be leaving off? Well, I mean, he's been switching between uh, Japan and and back home uh, recently um, you know Japan let's not beat around the bush is not the standard that he's going to need to play Pro 14 rugby but he's shown it in the past and again it's important to note that we're not exactly shopping at peak time here we're in uh, January sales which aren't aren't really the best for uh, for Bryn Cunningham to be going out into uh, much in the same way as when he got Christian Leofano here it wasn't the best time to go shopping so in terms of what he could have brought in and as I said you can debate the merits 
of signing anybody at this stage of the season the way things have gone the last couple of weeks um, he's a safe pair of hands really yeah. yeah well the reaction then whenever we sort of broke the story on online earlier um, was mostly positive one or two people just not overly enamoured by the signing but then the, you're both happy enough then well the, the, the thing is people are expecting Ulster to go out and sign these marquee NIQs and they're just not available at this stage yeah. of the season everybody who is really desirable is under contract or <clears throat> just isn't available to come over to Ulster mid-season so I'm not sure what people are expecting uh, in terms of uh, I'm basically going to repeat what I said in terms of who's available yeah. Donald is a very reliable option he's got the experience he's got the know-how and he'll come in and I'm sure he'll do a very solid job for Ulster and hopefully more if he can uh, find some form from uh, from a few years ago I think Adam sort of hit the nail on the head there and he mentioned Matt Gitto and I think that might be something to do with a part of the reaction of people started to think that Matt Gitto was a genuine possibility to the point where I actually wrote a story in the paper today saying basically calm down lads Matt Gitto is not coming because social media on Sunday was sort of ablaze with all this talk of Matt Gitto obviously he's in a similar situation coming off contact in Japan it's you know I know it's a bit like if you're told you're getting steak and you end up with a cheeseburger then you're a bit (laughs) but at the same time everyone loves cheeseburgers so look the fans that thought Ghetto was coming was probably unrealistic in terms of what you were going to get and I understand that he's been playing in Japan for a bit longer didn't particularly enjoy his last stay here when he was at Bath but in terms of what's available I think that you just have to take it as what it is which is essentially a stopgap solution well we'll bring ourselves back to to grounding with him uh, a, a bit of chat then about the defeat to Leinster last weekend 38-7 predictable we all knew we were, we were going to get beaten really didn't we but um, where was this game lost and how sort of disappointing was the, the manner of it where wasn't it lost is maybe a better <laughs> question because I, really, of, I really thought you were going to say Dublin though <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's one of those ones where I go home and think about it about three hours later and <laughs> think I should have said it this was just another really poor performance and I feel like I've said this so many times over the last few weeks because it is so true and the worst part is it's yet another example of how Ulster fixed things from the week before but then all new problems arise you know the the week before against Munster the mall and the scrum fell to pieces and this week this week or sorry last week they fixed it and their defence just fell apart again I mean Leinster made 18 clean breaks. Ulster missed 27 tackles. You're never winning a rugby match if you miss 27 tackles. No matter where they are in the pitch, that's just not good enough. And that that's just been the problem for Ulster all season. It was inconsistency. Too many drop balls led to turnovers, and Leinster just gobbled them up. Andrew Porter for that uh, for that try was inhumane with those two uh, fans. But the problem is, Rory Best made a very good point uh, in our press conference today. Ulster weren't winning the moments. When they dropped the ball, they didn't kill it. Whenever Leinster turned them over, they didn't shut them down. And Leinster, they had the pace, they had the ability to just take it around the outside and go the other way. I mean, three of their tries came from just breakaways from Ulster attacking, which is very tough to take, but... You know, you, you have to win those moments. As I said, 
and for Ulster, they had... The worst part for Ulster was they had the platform. They had, you know, that solid set piece. They had the players in position to do it. But then they just couldn't execute. Leinster's line speed just shut them down every time. The pass out to Stuart McCloskey wasn't filling them at any stage. They just ran out of ideas. The kicking was loose. They just didn't shut down Leinster as they needed to. And to be honest... Even going in at 12-0 12, 12 at half-time, I said to Johnny, I was actually feeling, uh, for my sins, I said they were, I was feeling a little bit optimistic that mm-hmm. Ulster could maybe, maybe with the wind in the second half, yeah. snatch something from the game. And in the first 10, 15 minutes of that second half, Ulster just proved me completely wrong because Leinster didn't have to do very much to win that game. But, but given that it was Leinster... And given that last week we had said that Leinster are probably the best team in Europe at the moment, we can't be too hard on them this week, can we? Well, I think in terms of looking at that game, I mean, Adam says about the wind, I don't know if that came across on TV, just how strong that wind actually was. So, you know, it could have been a sort of 10-point wind. And you were expecting them to be able to produce something much more in the second half, and then you just don't see it. They came out, and again just the architects of their own downfall one of those phrases that you don't hear outside of sports journalism but like (laughs) it's just carelessness with the ball and that's what sort of got me because they came out the first half of that monster game and said we knew we were being just too reckless with the ball we were giving it away far too easily but we put that right in the second half and yeah that's all well and good but then you come out in your next game and you've done it again like the fourth Leinster try yeah, the fourth, fourth Leinster try where the ball's taken into contact. Henshaw rips it away too easily. Andrew Porter um, bounces two boys off. And it's just, as Rory Best actually said, it's just those moments that they're losing and then compounding that with losing the next one and then losing the next one. Like The fourth try and the sixth try were among the worst that Ulster have conceded this year. And as we talked about, that's a long list this year. So there's been plenty of competition for that, for that particular accolade. Adam talked about the scrum, like Callum Black having absolutely none of it uh, come scrum time. I mean, that was an encouraging foothold for Ulster to uh, to build on, the fact that they had that solidity in the set piece. Pete Brown um, brought out a cold storage to head down to the RDS, and you could see a couple of nice line-out takes from him. Um, but just... You're saying about not being too hard on them. You get beat by 31 points. Like over the course of the three interpros, you conceded 99 points. You scored 23 in the time that you were playing against 15 men. You take like you take out that 40 minutes or 30 minutes rather of the second half here against Monster, and that's a like that's a horror show for the ages in a three-game interpros set. It's just yes, you can say. Ulster go down to the RDS and lose as regularly as Christmas. It's something that happens every year, it would seem. But the manner in which they lost and the manner in which they lost off the back of the previous performances and not being able to put right what you said you had identified is the issue. Unfortunately for me, I think this is where Ulster just are as a team at the moment. And I know Les said, and there was a lot of debate about this, Les said that Ulster aren't that far behind Leinster. That he set up after Ulster had just been beaten by 31 points by them should 
speak volumes about what it is. I mean, I, I don't like making comparisons between Ulster and Leinster because there are just streets between them. But I want to make one. John Dysel on Saturday, he is supposed to be our premium carrier in that pack from number eight. He averaged less than three metres a carry. He would have been Leinster's fourth top carrier in the game. And he would have been sixth top carrier for Leinster if you included their subs. Um, that is a reflection on where our pack is compared to their pack. I know it's just one guy. But the fact that the guy who we're supposed to be relying on for go-forward ball would not be the same player in Leinster. He would just be an average member of that pack. Speaks volumes about where our pack is. And whenever you don't have the pack to compete... You can't get the ball out to the back line. They can hold up a scrum. Fair enough. But you need guys to be dynamic in the loose. And also just don't have that. We saw in Connacht they just looked so hungry. They were breaking the game line every time. They had guys over quick. They were recycling. Munster in that first half destroyed us up front. And it was only whenever the red card came in that they had to take players away and they had to change their tactics. And Leinster again just over the breakdown. They were just so much faster, so much better than us. Ulster don't have the pack to compete and we've just seen that over the last three weeks. I think the Interpros have provided a very stark realisation of what our aims should be for this season because we've talked this whole time about silverware should be the aim at the end of the season. I think you've got to tone that down because this team is not good enough to take home a trophy at the end of the year, in my opinion. Well, I suppose in terms of if the goal's not silverware, then what is the goal? Just getting back into the Champions Cup? I think, really? Well, it's, it's a good point you raise and... I suppose you're right, the, the goal should be silverware, but I think we've got to be realistic in that that's sort of a dream more than a realistic goal. Because to, if we're being hammered by Connacht, if we can't get past Munster until they've had someone sent off, if Leinster's sort of half-and-half half team are taking us apart at the RDS, what's going to happen at the tail end of the season where we either are going to have to go to Leinster or Scarlet's away in a playoff whenever we've still got Toman Park to go to we've got Glasgow coming here who are looking fantastic in the league we've got to go to Edinburgh we've got to go to the Ospreys and even though they've been having a poor season you know that they can pull out a big result with their full team you don't see Ulster getting the big results they need in those big games and they haven't got those big results in the big games for several years and there's nothing about this team that suggests to me that they're ready to mentally take that step that the other teams didn't but it just I mean in terms of what you're expecting from the rest of the season Leinster are 11 points clear of Ulster in the league and have lost two games so you're not going to make that gap up because Leinster would have to start losing games at a rate in which we don't think they're going to do Scarlets I think are 13 points ahead I don't have the table in front of me so they would have to lose games and Ulster would have to win out for me if Ulster finish third and lose a playoff game that didn't exist 12 months ago and don't get out if they're pulling Europe then that has to be considered a bad season and that you know whether that's in terms of as you're saying the goals of the start of the season were silverware or bust I think you can have a good Ulster could have had a good season without winning silverware but if if what we expect to happen now happens and they just play one playoff game away to a better side and get beat and don't get out of the pool in Europe 
then that's another season gone in my opinion where you can't take a positive from it it, it is a bad season but I'm just saying we've maybe got to start being realistic <laughs> I, do, I do this a lot in the podcast but maybe I'm just not expressing it right the goal should still be silverware if you're not aiming for silverware as a team then you're right, you're aiming for nothing. But I think we've got to be realistic about our, maybe our expectations of this team because I don't think there's a silverware-winning team. No, but and I, I, would th- just, I would just ask what your expectations would be then. It's, no, I'm not challenging you, I'm just genuinely curious My- because like Zebra's goals for the season or Tavizo's goals for the season, this season were to improve and you mm. would say that they have done. So what would your goals for either at the start of the season or now for the rest of the season what would they be? My goal for the team would be to win silverware. My expectations for this team is to finish third and finish well below the standard that Ulster should be at to be competing for silverware. I'm trying to say there is a difference between my goals for the team and my expectations. My goal is where this team should be at and Ulster are a team with the structure, with the systems in place that they should be going for silverware. My expectations from what I've seen over the season is that this team is only good enough to finish third in their conference and lose that away playoff game. Yeah, but what I mean is we're both agreed that to finish third and lose an away playoff game would not be a good season. We are agreed on that, yes. But I just mean in the sense that there's only two trophies available and Ulster aren't going to win one of them. So what in your mind would constitute a good season that would be falling short of winning the Pro 14? Or is that possible? That's what I'm asking. I... If Ulster were to get to, a se- to say a semi-final of, a, of the Champions Cup and a semi-final of the uh, Pro 14 at the start of the season you'd probably say oh, that's a good season you would, you would say that's a good season uh, but then you're, you're, judged, season. you're judged on your results you're not judged on yes what so I'm, I'm saying if you get to a semi-final in both competitions you you've fallen short at not the last hurdle but very close to the end on both fronts you could have taken something away from that what I wanted to see as somebody covering this team to make you think that they were heading in the right direction would have been improvement on some level and in terms of results so much you're seeing on the pitch and the nature of the defeats that there have been and the nature of some of the wins that there have been would indicate that there hasn't been improvement that's just that's, what I mean like that's, there that's could have fair. been a good season I think Ulster could have had a good season without winning the Pro 14. I, I don't think that's happening by any means. I'm not <laughs> saying this is a good season. I just mean in terms of, you say we have to reset the bar for the expectations. My expectations for what would have represented a good season for Ulster would have just been looking like a more cohesive and better unit than they did last year. And they don't. Well, look, you never know. It could still turn out to be an improvement. You're all very grumpy and negative. Let's just hope Stephen Donald's not listening to this or he might never arrive. Um, but uh, Well, the fact of the matter is we have now shown that Ulster are a long way off where they need to be to win silverware. And not to get into the whole improvement slash winning uh, debate again. But the bottom line is Ulster have proven that they are nowhere near the standard they need to be to win a trophy. 
and there's got to be a serious rebuild that needs to be done to get this team back up to that level. I'm just thinking if something sort of miraculous does happen in the second half of the season, I have lots of clips from the teas that I'm just going to play on, on a yeah, loop. But well, <laughs> I don't, I'll not be holding my breath. <laughs> if if um, they win on Saturday, everyone could look very silly. <laughs> um, but yes, just going back to our original point, which was the defeat to Leinster, we'll hear a little bit now uh, from Les Kiss as to what he thought of the performance on the pitch. I don't think they're that much better than us, you know, we, but it's probably a reflection of the inconsistencies that, that offered the opposition a chance to hurt us the way they can do us. Um, you know, we, we defended for, you know, stout periods, but then we get the ball back and then we turn it over and within three phases they score. It's a, you know, it's a it's a bit of a spiral that's not ideal at the moment, but it's hurting us. And uh, to be that inconsistent isn't what we want to see, that's for sure. And that's, and that's probably the nature of what we're looking at at the moment, that inconsistency and not being able to, you know, deliver a constant, you know, dependable... St- you know, style of rugby that we can really rely on but as I say we've got a chance next week to to uh, respond and that's our focus going forward Looking ahead then if Ulster are to salvage anything from this season and to make some sort of an improvement or to make some sort of a, a feel good factor um, this game on Saturday is one that they absolutely have to win isn't it I mean Rory Best called it uh, the crunch match um, is this the most important game of the season so far? Against La Rochelle, I should say, at home in the Champions Cup? Of the season so far, yes. Coming towards the end of the season, we might change that. But for the moment, yes, it is the biggest game of the season because if they want to reach the quarterfinals, they have to win this game. You cannot lose your home games in Europe. And especially against a side uh, like La Rochelle, the confidence boost that would give this side if they won would be immeasurable. You know that they're a team who are struggling for form, but if you if you beat a side like this, that'll just lift everyone within the squad. And simply, purely from a qualification perspective, to get four points this week would put them in a great position going to Coventry, going to try and get a win there to get into the quarterfinals for the first time, and I think it's four years. It's. It's a game where Ulster just have to say to themselves, look, forget what's happened over the last few weeks, forget anything that's gone on, anything that's been said. New competition, new week, new opposition. Four points is a minimum in this. I, I don't think they're getting four tries against La Rochelle, but you know, the, they have to say, look, we have to get a win here. Nothing else will do, because even a loss here... It goes the other way, you know. If if they win, they get such a boost. If they lose, their confidence takes a massive hit going to Coventry, where they will then absolutely need a win. Well, you guys were both over in La Rochelle, and haven't seen Ulster beaten over there. Um, how can Ulster reverse that and, and get the better of La Rochelle here? It'll be a big ask, a really big ask. Um, La Rochelle has struggled a little bit in terms of their away results. Um, of late now last year they were a very very strong away team but sort of starting with that Coventry away game to Wasps they haven't been as convincing on the road but that's been with uh, they've changed their team they've rested a lot of their big players and I think given the shape of the pool now I don't think there's any chance that we don't see a full Larishel team pitch up here and you have to remember like it's not that long ago that I mean, you're talking two months ago, people were talking about this team as the best, one of the best in Europe, one of the favourites for the trophy. So 
this is a really good team they're going to come here looking at results having not got the result against Wasps and they're playing an Ulster team that looks to be fairly devoid of confidence yeah <laughs> it, it doesn't look good but Ulster can take a bit of confidence in that La Rochelle don't change the game style they like that fast, open style of rugby where they rely on the offloads. We saw that in Coventry where they still tried to play that way even in the wet conditions. You'd hope it's wet this week because if they try and play that way, things won't stick and they stand a chance. But Johnny's right. This is going to be a huge, huge test. If La Rochelle can't get their forward momentum going, they just throw it out the backs if their backs aren't maybe clicking, they just stick it up their jumpers and try and play an eight-man game. They can do it both ways based on what's happening, which makes it such a tough... They're such a tough team to defend against because you have to be spot on every single aspect. If <laughs> It's a really, really hard game to judge because Ulster love to pull out a big performance against the French side at home in Europe. They do it every single year. You saw it against Claremont, you saw it against Toulouse, Stade Francais. All those big teams have come to Belfast and they've been beaten because Ulster just pitched up on the day and they put in a performance that you haven't seen. But they'll need it this year because if they produce anything similar to the last three weeks, their European season ends on Saturday. On the plus side, no matter what happens, there's a fairly good chance that we're going to get to see a back row of Victor Vito Body and Kevin Gordon again in the flesh and if you're tired of that possibility then you're tired of life <laughs> they, were so, they were so good in France it was one of the it was one of the positives of that weekend well another thing you'll get to see uh, for the last time um, at Kingspan anyway is Christian Elefano in an Ulster jersey um, signing off in front of the home crowd uh, will that play any sort of a, a factor in even an Ulster's mindset I don't think so like I don't think given how much Ulster have on the line and how much they need a response for themselves rather than any departing player, that it'll be something that they think about too much. But it would be nice for Christian, given how much he's bought into things and the way he's handled himself when he's been here, um, if they could send him off with send him off on a positive note, really. Um, and I think he deserves a good hand after the game, no matter what happens, because he hasn't taken this as an extended pre-season, he hasn't taken this as a chance to come in and top up the pension pot a little bit as he enters his 30s he's really came in and bought into it, he's knuckled down he's a tough guy Like um, obviously given his history it's obvious that he's tough, he's overcome an awful lot more than anything that'll ever happen on a rugby field but there's been some weeks where he's taken a battering really and he's just he just bounces back up um, he hasn't wanted to miss any games he's played a lot more than I maybe thought he would um, even in terms of the minutes because all the uh, all the tens that are coming on are only getting limited minutes off the bench as well you can debate the virtue of that one way or the other but again Christian has wanted to play those minutes and just as I say like it would be nice to give him some sort of positive on the field memory to take away with him I would say and I mean, the, what he's done off the field as well, you've seen it in Johnny McPhillips over the last few weeks. He has come on and at least looked like he's got something about him. Les alluded to the fact that 
Christian does a lot of work with Johnny just in terms of how to improve and what he could do well. So we might see some of the benefits of his short stay here for a long time to come. He's a great guy and um, who knows, maybe we'll see him in an Ulster jersey again someday. But uh, for now, yeah, he, he deserves a really good send-off and hopefully he gets it on Saturday. Yep, and Rory Best echoed those sentiments um, during the press conference earlier. He's a quality player, you know, we knew when we signed him and and I think moreover his his ability as a rugby player, I think it's the person and you, you sort of hope that he'd be the person that you thought he would be with everything that he's come through in his personal life over the last or whatever it is, a couple of years, but you know, he's been that handsome and, and that's the sort of people you want. You want people that come in, yeah, and play really, really well. But as well as that, you want really good guys around the dressing room and people that you instantly like. And Christian has 100% been one of those. And from that point of view, as much as anything, he'll be a really hard act to follow. On to the listener questions then. Um, we have three from the forums this week. Um, the first one says, from a few people on the forums actually, would two thumping defeats in Europe make Les Kiss' position untenable? Um, I think he's jumping at this well, one. I think if well, they get, I'll let him go. <laughs> if they go out and get hammered twice in the manner that they get hammered on Saturday, then I think somebody would have to make a change, whether it be immediately or for the rest of the season. And that's going with whether Les Kiss is the problem, part of the problem, or not the problem. Because I, I mean, I wrote a comment piece in the paper this week um, talking about the fact that more responsibility has to be spread around than Les Kiss has become this sort of lightning rod figure. Donahoe Callan wrote a similar piece in an Irish newspaper over the weekend talking about how, from what he knows of Les Kiss, there's no way that Les Kiss is the sole reason for what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. But it's the same in any sport. You cannot change your entire player group. You're not going to clean house completely of everybody working in the organisation. So the easiest thing to do is always just to lop off the head of the ticket. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, you can't go for a wholesale change of players. So the only thing you can do is change the coach and hope things improve. I hate talking about Leskis' future because I like the guy. He's such a nice guy to talk to and he's always so accommodating. But... The thing is, results aren't going his way, and it's a results-based business. So if he's not producing them, something will have to change. Two thumping defeats in Europe would definitely contribute to uh, a change being needed. And uh, you dare say that if that does come to pass, you'd definitely be looking at someone in charge during the Six Nations, someone new in charge during the Six Nations. All, all I would add was I don't think that they'll get beaten twice in the way they were beaten on Saturday in the next two games. Yeah. Yes, we, we said that for Munster and it looked like that, uh, it looked for a while like it might be. I didn't know uh, predict that Munster would win. <laughs> well, weren't you wrong? <laughs> I love the way we've no, somehow no, no, got into I, the position where we're I mean bragging we, about a wrong position. Uh, no, 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 I was just saying I didn't <laughs> predict that there would be a response no, from the company. I, I predicted that Well, I mean, we, we expected a response from the Connacht game and it didn't happen. We expect a response from the Lancer game and... We we think it will happen, but we don't know it'll happen. Well, I think well, it was you. I think it was you asked the question, Adam, um, recently to I think it was Aaron Dundon of what makes you expect yeah. that you're going to get this response when you didn't get it before. And 
it's a fair question, it's a valid question, and I don't, I don't even mean that I think they're going to get two results. It's just like, I mean, Wasps are struggling with injuries, and you've got the uh, what should be the pride factor playing at home. So I just don't envisage them getting beat by thirty points twice. That's that was all I was saying. I, I wasn't offering a critique on anything positive <laughs> that I think is going on, on the team. I just yeah. don't see them shipping 60 odd points the next two weeks that, that yeah. was well, here's I'll hoping and see. here's hoping two thumping victories could be um, a massive boost instead of making anybody's position untenable but question two which should be um, rather more easily sorted out I would imagine uh, Russ from the forums wants us to rank the four Irish provinces presumably in terms of ability as and as opposed to like alphabetical order or something <laughs> just, <laughs> just where, where we like to go visit <laughs> yeah. uh, can I say Irish none of them in that <laughs> um, Leinster, Leinster A, <laughs> Monster. I still think with their two strongest teams on the field on a neutral venue, I still think Ulster would beat Connacht. I know I'm going to get an awful lot of jip about this, um, <laughs> given what we saw two weeks ago, but that's what I'm sticking with. I still think Ulster are a better side at present than Connacht. Now, Connacht have vastly improved since their rocky start to the season whereas Ulster are getting worse as the season goes along so th- th- I mean that could change in three weeks four weeks but so you've Ulster fourth from the fifth the five provinces then well <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I would concurrently I'd throw uh, Leinster B in between Munster and Ulster <laughs> yeah I mean it's something that has been discussed in light of the last three weeks I would agree with you that on the whole with the two strongest teams out, Ulster are still better than Connacht for the moment. But if things continue the way they are, it's definitely up for debate whether Connacht are better than Ulster. But of course, there's time for Ulster to change it around. Um, but yeah, for the for the moment, Leinster, Munster, Ulster, Connacht, with a few Leinster reserve teams thrown in there as well. <laughs> and that that sort of answers um, the Leinster A and Leinster B comments. Definitely, it would it would hint at your answer. To the third question, also from the forums, it says, do we agree with Les that Ulster aren't too far behind Leinster? Did Les say that? Yeah, he did. Um, he no, said... I'm stirring things again. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I think the obvious answer from us is, or well, from me, definitely is no. Ulster are not far behind Leinster. They're very, very, very far behind Leinster. They're, Leinster can chop and change players at will and they get no come down from it, there's no drop in performance, it's all exactly the same, in fact my uh, uncle and aunt were at the game on Saturday as well and apparently someone behind them said that Leinster had used 27 different players um, between the two or between the three games 37, sorry 37 um, which is just a reflection of how good their academy system is and the depth of their squad, and that's just something Ulster don't possess. And Ulster starting team just isn't as good as Leinster starting team anyway. So there's a huge gulf in both talent and squad depth that Ulster have to make up over the next few years before they're even considered anywhere close to where Leinster are in terms of uh, the two squads. Uh, look, we could debate this for a long time, but Adam's got a Belfast Giants game to get to here. So, 
Ulster are six or seven years in a best case scenario behind Leinster. Oh, I like that putting it into into a time frame. I wasn't expecting that, but yeah, I'm just going to put a note on my calendar: um, <laughs> the 9th of January, 2027, or something like that. 2024 slash 25. You can expect we can expect Ulster to be as good Ulster as Leinster are now. I think I said in a best case scenario. What would mean <laughs> if? Uh, uh, he's um, backtracking. He's backtracking. No, 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 I'll have to stick it in 2030. This, no, this is your own version of the would, world domination yeah, in five years. Exactly. <laughs> I would mean Top if the structures were all put in place or started to be put in place now to match Leinster structures and Leinster's output then it would take you at least six or seven years okay. to be producing pro players at the rate that they yeah. are because you have to start from a much younger base yeah. Yeah. and I mean you talk about this sort of embarrassment of riches I mean Leo Cullen bringing on Johnny Sexton when Ulster were twenty six nothing down or something that was just there, there was no uh, no neighbourly spirit there like it's a case of, yeah we're gonna bring on uh, one of our best players like he's a two time lion two tour lion test out half so we're just gonna throw him out there when you are already embarrassed. Well, we'll move on to our club roundup, and myself and Adam we can give ourselves a very hearty pat on the back, Jonathan. We're just gonna look at you in disgust. Um, for threatening our uh, otherwise pretty impressive run of predictions because Adam predicted Balna Hinch to beat Balamina. You disagreed, and then the casting vote, my knowledgeable self, picked Balna Hinch, and we were proved correct. Well done, Adam. Well done, Gareth. Thank you, Gareth. Well so done, you. Explain yourself, gentlemen. I just like to be contrarian every so often, so <laughs> I just decided to go against the grain. I don't know why. I just, just There is no no analysis or thought put into it. Well, let's just, let's know, hope you're more you know accurate about Stephen Donald. Bal- Balamina... <laughs> <laughs> Balamina were ahead going in the, er, uh, early in the second half so for a while it did look like it was in the balance but it was uh, a late show from Balna Hinch that won it but um, I still worry for Balamina I'm still questioning where that sort of impetus to avoid relegation is I mean they are not they're not in the relegation zone at the moment uh, but they're certainly sliding closer and closer to it as the weeks go on Got shot on this week as well, which is another, yeah. uh, another big ask. Um, me and Adam went to see Banbridge um, on our road trip. <laughs> yeah, so it was fantastic. Uh, we'll, I'm sure it was a real treat at we'll, Rifle Park. Uh, no, we were, we're in Dublin. Oh, was, oh sorry. Dublin. Oh, I was Anglesey Road against I Old Belvedere. Known that, shouldn't I? Yeah, Eddie O'Sullivan on the touchline for Old Belvedere, obviously. So, uh, sorry, sorry to tell you, didn't go your way. Disappointing. Heartbreaking news. Adam, give us the rest of the news for the <laughs> Ulster <laughs> We'll just move on from that. Alright, Division 1B, as we mentioned, Ballina Hinch aren't letting Shannon out of their sights as they won the Ulster Derby at Ballamacarn Park, defeating Ballamina 28-13 without a bonus point, while Banbridge fell to a disappointing 18-15 defeat away to 14-man Old Belvedere. I mean, Shannon still lead the way. You didn't have to, didn't have to include the 14-man. Oh, we absolutely did. It makes it even worse. Yeah, it's it's, so, it's so rare that you see just proper full closed fisted punches thrown yeah. which is what the old Belvedere prop got sent off for yeah it wasn't good in Division 1B Shannon <laughs> Shannon still lead the way in 1B on 42 points but Hinchar right on their tails in 2nd on 38 with Bambridge falling away slightly in 3rd on 35 Ballamina are now looking over the shoulders at the relegation spots in 8th on 17 points that's only 3 ahead of UL Bohemian in ninth. in Division 2A Malone further on their line their promotion credentials with 
the crushing 7 try, 49-7 win over Queens at the dub. Mark O'Connor went 7 for 7 off the tee there. While City of Armagh were beaten 17-10 away to second place Highfield. Malone still hold a 2 point advantage over Highfield at the top. The two sides on 46 and 44 points respectively. City of Armagh stay 4th on 27 points despite their loss while Queens slip 1 place to 6th on 25. In Division 2B, things go from bad to worse for the City of Derry, who conceded 11 tries in a 71-0 defeat away to an impressive promotion-chasing rainy side, while Dungannon's clash with Belfast Harlequins had to be postponed due to a frozen pitch. Rainy are still 7 points adrift of leaders Old Crescent in 2nd, albeit with a game in hand, on 50 and 43 points each. Dungannon are 6th on 28 points, while Belfast Harlequins and City of Derry continue to prop up the table on 5 and no points respectively. Respectively, they both have a few games in hand, I think. And in Division 2C, it was an Ulster derby in 2C as Bangor and Oma met at Up Richard Park with the Seasiders winning out 19-5, which means the two Ulster sides are actually now level on points on 28. Bangor leapfrogging Oma into fourth on points difference. Sligo still lead the way on 35 points. And this week's games, there are two rescheduled postponements. Belfast Harlequins welcome Wanderers to Darmore Park and Rainy Old Boys host Sunday as well. There's one game in the Towns Cup as Dungannon entertain Ballymena 2. What took you away to Dublin to go and watch Banbridge, by the way? What have we talked about for the first half of this podcast? Ulster? Yeah. Where, Where were they playing? Playing in Leinster? I, oh, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was trying to work it out the whole time. I was like, why are they going the way to Dublin to watch uh, Banbridge? Um, that explains it. Yeah. And on that note... <laughs> a, long, a long way to go. It certainly was. Oh I was very <laughs> impressed. Oh my um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, game of the week this week? Game of the week this week, um, I suppose Rainey in their pursuit of Old Crescent at the top of 2B, they should get the win over Sunday as well, but um, that's going to be an interesting one. I, I always think rescheduled games are very interesting because you sort of think back to yourself, well, what could we have played back then compared to what could we have played now? What are Sundays well going to bring that they might have brought the last time? Um, but really, this is a really good chance to get right back up behind Old Crescent, put a bit of pressure on them. They've been putting in some really good performances recently, so uh, I'm going to back them to win this one. Uh, but that's that's our game of the week. Ready to win? Do you agree, or are you going to yeah. send it over to me again? I was actually just going to give a thumbs up there until I realised that that wouldn't really work in a podcast <laughs> medium. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're ready to win. <laughs> we're all happy then, and I'm just glad I don't have to cast another deciding vote. So, although I was very good at it last week, if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, yes, Rainy to beat Sunday as well is our pick this week for the game of the week. I'm just having a little flick through Twitter to see uh, who has responded to our breaking news um, All right, you look that very we're, popular <laughs> we're just hoping <laughs> we're just patients. hoping Jonathan's got right um, Big Baldy CD great name on Twitter but he says he hopes that uh, Stephen Donald has brought his pasting brush with him to help paste over the cracks um, which is uh, a little bit harsh maybe but anyway, we're uh, we're running out of time, and we have to go. Jonathan or uh, Adam's itching to get away to go and watch the Belfast Giants in their quarterfinal. To be fair, it's six o'clock. Like people with real jobs are already home at this stage, and that's not what I'm about. <laughs> and I was expe- I was expecting to finish working hour earlier today. But anyway, <laughs> with me you have been Jonathan Bradley. Hi. No, it. We're, not. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely not. This has been a disaster. This has been the most amateurish week so far. 
Adam McHenry. I'm halfway out the door. See you later, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please come back. It will get better. Yeah.